Hello and welcome to a long-awaited another edition of the Tree City Sports Podcast. I am your host, as usual, Andrew Baker, here with my host, as usual, Graham Owen. How's it going, Graham? Hey, how's it going, guys? We are back with another episode. It is long-awaited. We actually had a lost episode that we had done about two and a half weeks ago now, and unfortunately, we had some issues with it where, for Rest some reason... Peace. Even though we were recording it and things were going fine during the recording, we lost the record. It just wasn't having any audio go through. If there are any professional or semi, very semi-professional audio people in the world around us that listen to this, help us, please. Yeah, we apologize for that. That's why there's been such a long delay between episodes, that and just, you know, normal life stuff. But we are back because we have to talk both Cavs and Browns because there's been a lot going on since last time we've been gone. And usually we start with the Browns, but I feel like we have to start with the Cavs just because they're the more relevant team right now. They are playing, and they are really just truly a dumpster fire in the truest sense of the word. They are so, playing, though. They are playing. Yeah, they're playing games right now. They do now. play. They're playing games right now, and that's about the extent of what I can say about them this season because they're one of the worst teams in the NBA yet again. So, I mean, we had John Beeline lose his job after like 51 games or something like that very short tenure he was reassigned which i think he's just probably running the concession stand or the team shop or something like that for us but, oh it's uh, where he belongs oh okay well he'll get a college good college job next year probably maybe indiana i heard i heard texas might be firing shaka smart so if that's he would be really good at getting that program back up i mean that program did produce a lot of talented players but yeah, I mean, Beeline's ten years gone, and now JB Bickerstaff, for the third time in almost as many years, has taken over on an interim basis midway through the season. And the or the Cavs have definitely looked better since they made the switch. But it was just such an odd switch about Beeline. What did you when when you heard this news? What were you, what were your first thoughts about it? Just knowing that there had been all these different stories throughout the year, you know, with the thug slugs thing and everything going on. It's just I have no, I just, it's just so hard to wrap your head around that you've signed a coach for five years and he's gone after 50 games. Well, this is, uh, this is Dan Gilbert's Cleveland Cavaliers, everybody. This is the organization that Dan Gilbert runs and has created. And he has created an environment in which everyone points fingers and no one communicates properly and people get fired constantly because that's just, uh, that's just how it is when Dan Gilbert runs your team. And I, <laughs> I don't really see it changing anytime soon, but in terms of, you know, John Beeline, I think it was obvious from almost the very beginning. I mean, there was about 10 games start the year where the team was kind of moving the ball and it almost kind of looked like it was using his type of offense. But in general, just basically from the beginning, he was terrible and looked like he should not be an NBA coach. And like you said, the players just basically – openly revolted on and off the court especially the veterans yeah yeah it was obvious i mean thompson yelled at him one time kevin love obviously hated him it was like tweeting you know like you know the joker emoji where he's like faking a smile and all kinds of stuff and it's just just constant drama and i i think you know i think john beeline is he's been a great coach for a long time in college and i think that's where he should stay and where he will go obviously um I think going into the NBA from college is very difficult. I think the vast majority of guys who have tried that have failed over the years. There are notable exceptions like Brad Stevens, the Celtics, but I mean, just so many guys 
I mean, you think about Rick Pitino multiple times. It's just so many people have failed going from college to the NBA. It's different games, different environment. It's just not the same. And I think also with Beeline being in his late 60s, I think going into the NBA for the first time at that age made it really difficult for him to relate to players. Yeah. And I think, you know, he had an expectation going in that you kind of had to be an authoritarian type of coach. And I, I think there are very few of those coaches that have success in the NBA now because the NBA is more of a player's league than any other league. And that's great for fans and for entertainment because, you know, players are what makes sports fun and that's fine, but it just wasn't a good fit for John Beeline. And I think him stepping down or whatever, you know, I, you know, no, he was reassigned, reassigned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he didn't get fired. What's he doing? You know, he's like, like you say, he's running concession stands, maybe Yeah, making some hot dogs, twiddling his thumb. Who knows? (laughs) Weren't you coaching anymore? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate that the Cavs wasted a, a, a season of development, basically. Um, we still have some seen some growth from some players, which we can talk about in a few minutes here. Um, but I do think that it wasn't working and it wasn't going to work. And I think everyone shares some blame in that. I think Kevin Love shares some blame for basically just revolting openly and not putting on a good show. I think... Other veterans, there was issues. I think, you know, everyone who leaked all these different stories to the media and created dysfunction was an issue. I think the fact that, again, Dan Gilbert is anywhere in the area means he's somewhat at fault. I think John Beeline was bad, and that's his fault. Um, I think the fault is shared, and I think ultimately it was a – I don't want to say it was a terrible idea from the jump because I think it was a creative idea. And I'm okay with creativity, especially when you're in the very early stages of a rebuild. Right. But, you know, it is very clear that it did not work. And in that sense, it was not good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think the idea kind of made sense, despite the fact that, like I said, a lot of college coaches haven't worked out because Beeline has such a great track record over his whole life. Um, But it didn't work. It failed miserably. And I think the fact that it, we've already moved on from the situation is a good thing because this could have dragged on for you know, another year or two, and that would have just slowed the Cavs down and hampered their development. And, you know, I think I think the worst part about it is Kobe Altman is the general manager who is quote-unquote running the Cavs, and he doesn't even get to make his own choices because, of course, Dan Gilbert's there just, you know, deciding everything that goes on. And I think, you know, just like with the Browns, who we'll discuss in a while here, you know, in sports you've seen it over and over and over again. If you have an owner that thinks he should be making the basketball or in the Browns case, football decisions, your, your organization is usually a complete trash fire. And that's, yeah. And that's just, that's again, this is Dan Gilbert's organization. And ultimately he's the one responsible for the culture and for the decisions made. And I don't even know how to properly evaluate Kobe Altman, who I think is probably not great at his job, but, really hasn't been given, I, you know, I just don't know how much the choices that have been made are actually Kobe Altman's. And I know that John Beeline was not a Kobe Altman decision. And if you're the owner and you're telling your GM, hey, uh, screw your interview. Kobe Altman was literally interviewing a coach when Dan Gilbert decided, hey, we're going to hire this guy. And Kobe Altman basically has to say, okay, or I quit. And, he, I, you know, I don't really blame him for not quitting um, because, you know, it's, you're not going to just, 
leave your job if you're a general manager in a professional sport. But, you know, if you're hiring coaches and making player decisions based off ownership and not based off the front office, then your organization is going to be a dumpster fire and the Cavs are a dumpster fire. And despite that, I mean, do you have anything else to add about Beeline in particular before we move on to kind of other things about the Cavs season? I mean, he just didn't fit what the NBA is looking for, like you mentioned at this point. He's just not someone that really connects with the players. He's someone that is used to working with 18, 19, 20-year-olds as opposed to grown men who are making millions of dollars and really don't feel like they need to learn the fundamentals of basketball every day in practice. I mean, Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love don't need to be doing bounce passes and all this other stuff that you're doing in AAU camps or in college training camps when you're just starting something with a with a team that's young. I think it's something that he really thought that he would just have to put his enforce his system and will onto the team because he had done that in the past when he had won and it had been successful. But I think at this point, having JB Bakerstaff as someone who could maybe help be the long-term coach for the Cavs because he is going to have time with these uh, young players and they've already responded and the veterans respect him. I think that's something that maybe he could be the coach that could be here for a good period of time. And who knows if he ends up being here when the Cavs hopefully get to a point where they can compete for the playoffs, but he could, I think he is a good coach for developing young talent, but he also has the respect of the players. So in terms of beeline, you know, it is what it is. And I think at this point they have to move on and try to have some type of consistency because if they keep having multiple coaches, then they're going to have problems. Hey, guess what, man? Look, we're not against rap. We're not against rappers, but we are against those thugs. Say it with me, Kevin Love. Can we? I don't know if we can get this copyright clear. Say it with me, Tristan Thompson. Hey, hey, look, John Beeline is not against NBA players. He is only against those thugs that stood up to him in the Cavs locker room. What a disgrace this whole goddamn organization is. <sighs> so, moving forward with John Beeline, no longer in our thoughts. But in our prayers, for sure. He's not uh, dead. <laughs> no, he's not dead, but his NBA career is. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree about J.B. Bakerstaff. If the Cavs would have hired J.B. Bakerstaff this offseason, I would have been fine with it. I think J.B. Bakerstaff is a guy who, you like you mentioned, he has the respect of the players. And I think anytime a new coach comes in or a coach gets fired, you have that short period where the team tries hard and they all buy in. It looks like, oh, this is really working. And, you know, that's happening with J.B. Bakerstaff right now. I, I do think that, he does have a chance to command the player's respect going forward. I think that it's kind of like when Ty Lu was the, you know, associate head coach under David Blatt. Under David Blatt, the players yeah. were going to Ty Lu instead of David Blatt. And by all means, you know, by the reporting we've seen is, you know, players were going to JB Bakerstaff instead of going to, to John Beeline. And I think that Bakerstaff's a guy who has been around the NBA his entire life, and he's you know, coach multiple other stops and worked under many other coaches. And that alone does not make you a good coach. But um, I think from what I've seen so far, which is about five games, I like him so far. And I think that a lot of people around the league think he can be a head coach. And again, you know, I, the Cavs shouldn't make decisions based off what other people in the league think. But I think that J.B. Bickerstaff is a really well-regarded dude. And so far, what I've seen through about five games, I'm really encouraged. And I think that, you know, he's, the right mix of experienced in the NBA 
but still a new enough head coach that he doesn't feel like a total retread considering he's never got a full-time job. You know, he's gotten it very short term before. So I think that Bickerstaff should be the head coach going forward, at least for the next couple of years. I think he should be given a real chance to be the head coach of the future for this team. And, you know, I, I think the Cavs have played pretty well under him. And, and like I said, some of that is natural. Anytime a coach gets fired and someone new takes over, you know, generally the results are improved, at least in the short term. Right, you're playing for your job. Exactly. And in the long term, we'll see. But I like J.B. Bickerstaff as a guy. I think he's a pretty good coach. So I'm pretty excited going forward. I mean, again, Dan Gilbert is still the owner. That will not change. You know, Kobe Altman is still totally unproven. Um, Kevin Love's contract is still very difficult to trade, and he still wants to be gone. Um, But in general, you know, I think there have been some good signs this season. I mean, I, the, I, we can talk about the Andre Drummond trade briefly, I guess. I mean, the Cavs basically gave up nothing to get Andre Drummond, except they're going to have to pay him next year. Yeah. I, I mean, do you see – what percent chance do you think there is that Andre Drummond is a Cav after next season? 10%? That's what, 15%? Yeah, I was like 10% or less. Yeah. Like, and he'd have to take a pay cut, and yeah. it would also depend on how they feel like he fits around the team because – I mean, you've, you we t- you talked about it to me before the podcast. I mean, he's a player that can put up stats, but he's never really fully affecting the game as much as really his numbers indicate. And I think that's what a lot of Pistons fans got tired of watching. And I think it's pretty evident very sh- quickly into his Cavs tenure that I don't know if he's ever going to be a player that's going to be someone that's comfortable putting up lesser stats on a team where he's not where he's not getting to shine. Andre Drummond would be a really good like fifth starter on a team fourth or fifth best player. And he's just never going to be that because you know, it's just not really how, how, how it works. You know I mean? He's been putting up big numbers his whole career. And like you said, I, you know, through five games, the Cavs, as Dennis green once said, he is who he thought he was. And that's not exactly Denny green said they are who we thought they were, but Andre yeah. Drummond is who we thought he was. He's a guy who hoards rebounds and actually makes Kevin love look. He's going to cry because so, so often Kevin love boxes out and then tries to go for the rebound and Drummond's just like, I actually already have the ball in my hands. Nice try, Kevin. Um, but they do share the same agent. And, you know, there was a fun moment last night where they connected on back-to-back touchdown passes. It was like Drummond to love and then left Drummond. That's fun. But I think Drummond is a guy who is – it's difficult to evaluate him because he is a good rebounder. That's not – no doubt. It's not just that he's big. He's a good rebounder. And he does score down low quite a bit. I mean, like last night against the Pacers, he was really dominating um, down low for stretches. And he gets his hand on a lot of balls. Um, he – you know, like last night he had four steals. He gets his hand in the passing lanes a lot. He's destructive on defense. And those are the good things. And so far he seemed like he is trying to embrace kind of coaching up the younger players and kind of being more of a leader. And this, God knows this team needs a leader, like any leader. We have Tristan Thompson. That's true. We have Tristan Thompson. God bless him. Who should be a Cavalier for life and won't be sadly. But so those are the good things about Andre Drummond, but you also watch and He took three threes last night, which he has. And one of them was a step back and he has, there's no reason he should ever be doing that. Steph Curry. Yeah. It just, there's no reason he should ever be doing that. And you know, he gets the steals. Yes. And he gets the deflections. Yes. But he's also constantly gambling. And a lot of times he takes him out of himself out of possessions and, gives up easy points and a lot of his rebounding is kind of just rebound hoarding. Um, and he doesn't, he's not really a rim protector. Um, and you know, he, he's a good passer. He's a guy that makes a lot of kind of 
you know, good passes, but he also turns the ball over just just constantly. Yeah. And this that's one thing about this Cavs team is, you know, obviously young teams aren't great with handling the ball, but this Cavs team, like, they're just the amount of turnovers is just ridiculous. I mean, they just constantly Kevin Love's bad, Drummond's bad, you know, Garland is a rookie, Sexton's not great, Kevin Porter Jr.'s a rookie. Jetty Osman, half the time, I don't think he knows what color the jerseys are for his own team. And it's just, they turn the ball over constantly. And that's to be expected of a young team. But when you add in an Andre Drummond and uh, Kevin Love, who are veterans who often try to make passes that they shouldn't be making, it just makes it even worse. So well, what I'm trying to say about Andre Drummond is, I think next year he'll be an expiring contract. And I think there's a chance that he gets traded for a hefty contract next year. Um, and maybe another asset, yeah. What Maybe an asset and a bad contract, or maybe just a good player that a team doesn't want to pay. You know, I don't know. And I think in the short term, you know, the unfortunate thing is the Cavs are at their best when they're playing Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, and Larry Nance as their rotation of bigs. And Drummond has been pretty disruptive in that sense. And they saw Drummond sit out a couple games and the Cavs were good. And then Drummond came back and Tristan Thompson didn't play. And, you know, they have four guys for basically three spots, not to mention potential all-NBA center Ante Zizic. Uh, oh, my God. That was sarcasm. I forgot he was even on the But, team, so yeah. it's, you know, it's unfortunate for me from a fan perspective because I really wish Tristan Thompson was going to be here the rest of his career just by the fact that he's played so hard. He, you know, he was here for the title team. He's embraced being a team leader. Um, and I think it's unfortunate he'll probably be a casualty of adding Andre Drummond. But, you know, Andre Drummond is a a player who puts up a lot of stats. And <laughs> I almost called him an all-star caliber player, but I think that's probably not realistic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it kind of is what it is. They didn't get it's It's one of those moves to me that doesn't really mean a whole lot because they didn't give up almost anything. And they're probably not going to keep him long term. So... It kind of just is what it is. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, it's a somewhat big name. This will help us sell some tickets a little bit. It'll make Kevin Love happier. Sure, yeah. I mean, they do theoretically fit together. The problem is Kevin Love just stands at the three-point line the whole possession. Yeah. That's the only problem. Yeah, the problem is that they're not really play- – they, they could play off of each other if one of them was a little bit better of a ball handler, but most of the, both of them are really better at passing when they're more stationary. And Andre Drummond elbow. thinks he's a point guard. Yeah. He had a couple last night where you're just like – he had one where he dribbled three-fourths the length of a court and got a layup. And then he had another one where he did the same thing and just destroyed someone, got a charge. And it's just like... He's more uh, capable of at least dribbling than Love is. Love's not someone that can really go down the court and create. He has to kind of just be there at the elbow. And really, Drummond should be, too, for a lot of those things. So it's it's going to be an interesting thing going forward. But I just hope he stops shooting threes. For God's sake, well, please. Save, ask, the, save the children. You're asking too much. Yeah, it's just... It's really ugly to watch, you know? It's... When that ball collides with the backboard, it's violent, man. Uh, <laughs> my break. Uh, so earlier in the season, we kind of ranked our our assets in the Cavs um, in terms of you know the four pieces that really matter going forward right now. In some order, are Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., and the Cavs' first round pick coming up this year, which could be anywhere between about one and eight, depending on the lottery results. Um. Not to mention Larry Nance, who, you know, I really like Larry Nance. He's a really fun player who plays hard. He's really enjoyable. Like, he gets all these one-hand rebounds, and he passes, and he cuts. He's and, a good player. I but just, he's, you know, he's a he's a peripheral piece. He's a bench piece. Yeah. So, realistically, the, the four pieces are Sexton Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., and the first-round pick. Before this season, 
early in the season, uh, I believe my ranking was the first round pick, then Garland, then Sexton, then Kevin Porter Jr. I believe yours was Garland, the pick, Sexton, and KPJ. Yep. I think at this point, both of us would probably take Kevin Porter Jr. above all else. Would you? Uh, for me, it's between Garland and Kevin Porter Jr. Garland, just because he has such a high pick and because I think he has the highest ceiling out of the out of him and Sexton as being a future point guard for the team, like starting point guard. I think Sexton, we've kind of just, I think we kind of know what he's going to be at this point. Like, I think he's kind of developed enough to the point where we're like, okay, I think we can kind of see a role for him. And that's really as a sixth man guard, someone that plays like 25 to 30 minutes a game and he can score do a little bit of playmaking. He has improved as a passer um, throughout this season, but he's not an elite. He's not a really good defender. He's not really an amazing. He's he's not an amazing passer, but he's an okay passer. He's not an amazing rebounder. He's kind of someone that comes off the bench and can kind of help ignite the second unit. Whereas Garland is a little bit more of a passer and Kevin Porter jr. I think he's definitely, if he's not first, he's very, very, he's like one B basically. Cause he's been so important his athleticism and his shooting ability potential is really nice because he could be that type of two guard that could get to the rim and also be able to shoot a little bit while potentially being a really athletic defender for us on the wings. Yeah, I think that Kevin Porter Jr. is the one of the four. Obviously, a first-round pick hasn't shown anything yet because he's on the team yet. Right. But I think Kevin Porter Jr. is the one who had shown legitimate star potential. I think he's the one of, you know, the first round pick, I'd probably, I'd probably take Kevin Porter Jr. first. I think the first round pick, if it was first, I'd probably take that first, but we don't know where it's going to be. Uh, I think that is pretty even with Garland for me. The reason I think Kevin Porter Jr. is first is I think he's shown star potential. I think he has, he's the only one between Sexton Garland and Kevin Porter and himself that actually has above average NBA athleticism. He's the only one that you know, can really go high wire for dunks. I think he's the only one that has high end defensive potential. And I think for those reasons, he would be my number one choice. Sexton, like you said, he's not a good defender at all. It's unfortunate because he tries really hard on defense. He's just too small. And if like, like you said, I think his ideal role is as a sixth man. I think that's okay. I think for the eighth pick in the draft, if you can get a really, really good scoring sixth man, that's not a bad result. Yeah. I, I think that, there's so much debate on Twitter about sex and it's like half people defend him and half people trash him. It's like in reality, you know, like most things in life, I think it's somewhere in the middle, you know, he's six foot one and he's not a good passer. That makes it really tough for him to be a legitimate starting offensive player. Unless you're starting next to a Ben Simmons type, which let me tell you, Ben Simmons types are not the cats right now. Yeah. Um, so I think, like you said, if he's playing 30 minutes a game off the bench, you know, scoring, you know, 18 points a game in a rel- relatively efficient matter. That, hey, he's that, shooting well, too. Yeah, he's a good shooter. He's a good three-point shooter. He can score. He he has improved this year. He's learned when to kind of, you know, slow it down. He's also, you know, he's really good in transition. He's fast. Yeah. And he gets the basket in transition. That's a useful player. And it's not to say that Colin Sexton isn't good or isn't worth having around. But if you're going to be a winning team, having a six-foot-one guard who can't really pass – as your starter, as a yeah. starter, makes it very tough, especially and, paired with Garland, who is undersized as well and is not a great defender in his own right. That's the thing is, I think so much has been focused on whether Garland and Sexton can fit together. That's why Kevin Porter Jr. is exciting because I think he can fit next to either one of them. And Garland, I Garland is so young, and so is Kevin Porter Jr. But Garland played 
basically three games in college, and I think he's been worn down a lot this season. Yeah, he had that one stretch where he was getting a lot of assists, yeah. like racking up high single digits or like 10 or 11, and he's really slowed down since the All-Star break especially. He's yeah. just he, – yeah, he's he's pretty much beaten up at this point physically, I think, just because it's understandable. He's a rookie. Like you said, he played three games at Vanderbilt, so in high school he, was, he played like probably 30 games max. Yeah. So he's not used to playing 82 plus games. No. And it's, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think if he, but he's shown a lot, he's shown, I think the ability to, his shooting mechanics have been very inconsistent, but I think he has a chance to be a good shooter. I think his passing is probably his best asset right now. Absolutely. The, the couple of problems that he's had are aside from just, you know, generally, you know, like, like we said, the grind of the NBA defensively, he is, a complete disaster. And I think a lot of that is the fact that he's just so thin and weak. He's undersized as and well. He's, and he's also really struggles to score around the basket. He has, a, he has a really good floater game. I'll say that, which if you can't get to the basket, at least be a good passer and make some floaters that helps. But I think if he adds some weight and, you know, kind of grows more into an NBA body, that's really going to help him on the defensive end and in terms of getting to the basket. So I think there's still potential. Um, I think if he can become an average defender, a good passer, a solid three-point shooter. I think he can be a, a really solid starter, and I think Kevin Porter Jr. has the big-time upside. I think I don't I don't know what it's going to take to have Sexton come off the bench because he's the best player of the three right now. But I think the sooner you can kind of put him into the six-man role and start Garland and Kevin Porter Jr., the quicker you can see how those pieces fit together. You want to see how the future. Roles- but so. I think I, you know, I'm fine with not doing it for now because I think that Garland's already overwhelmed as a starter. I think Kevin Porter Jr. has been wildly inconsistent. So at this point, having sex and start the remainder of this year is not really a problem for me. I just think ideally next season they can start to make that move. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I if if you're starting a rebuild and you you're two years in, you have a guy who can be a really good sixth man and two guys that look like they could be exciting starting caliber NBA guards. That's not a bad start. And, you know, Jetty Osmond's here long-term. I think he's an average player. Larry Nance is here long-term. He's a really, really solid bench piece. So, you know, going forward, the Cavs are going to are gonna need the pick. The Cavs are going to need, you know, at least one starting caliber wing, at least one starting caliber big man. And, you know, maybe Andre Drummond's that guy. But I think if, the, if that is the case, then the Cavs upside's capped at a certain point. You know, like a lower tier playoff like team. seven seed. Yeah. But, you know, I if you're looking at it and you have Sexton Garland and Kevin Porter Jr., Sexton, I think, where he got drafted, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander was there and the Cavs didn't take him. And that that's really going to hurt going forward because SGA is a star, and that really hurts. But Sexton's not a bad player. He's better than some other guys that were taken around the same, same spot. The Clippers. Right. <laughs> Giving up five Darius Gar- I think Darius Garland at four was still a reasonable pick. I don't see any problem with that. I mean, there was I, no one else there. I think giving, I think getting Kevin Porter Jr. at the last pick of the first round is a massive, massive hit. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a great. That was a fantastic draft choice, and I think that's not. A, I don't think that's a Dan Gilbert draft choice. I think that's a Kobe Altman draft choice. Sexton, I think, was a Gilbert thing. So so far, you know, it's again as long as Dan Gilbert's here, there's going to be organizational strife. That's just how it is. But I think the rebuild is going not bad. I, you know, we don't know what the upside is because I don't know if there's star caliber players. I think Kevin Porter Jr. is probably the one. So we'll see. I, you know, there's pretty obvious holes going forward. This draft coming up isn't great, but there's enough players 
that are not guards that I think the Cavs, if they scout well enough, can get a really good player and then may maybe only be maybe one more young piece away from contending for the playoffs in maybe two years or so. I just think this year's draft is very weak and I just don't know if it's going to be a very as valuable of a pick this year to have, for instance, the fourth or fifth pick as it may be in other drafts coming up, especially next year when I feel it when there's supposed to be a much better draft class and with the double draft coming up soon with well, the, the high good school news players. is the Cavs should still be bad going forward. Yes, but at the same time, I think if you can, I think a great – if I was the Cavs, I would really try to explore avenues of seeing if you can deal that pick once you know what it is to find out if maybe – to see if there's a young player that's maybe a little bit unsettled, someone that could fit your timeline, but also someone that could pair with Kevin Porter Jr. and another player t- to maybe make them a more – a more dynamic duo. I mean, who knows? Maybe you could get the first pick and something else and you could trade it for a disgruntled guy like a Bradley Beal or something like that. I mean, he's already signed an extensions or he's thinking about signing an extension soon. So it could be something like that where maybe that helps give the Cavs assets to then trade and get accelerate their process while also then having picks going forward. Yeah, I think the Cavs just take the best player available. Um, even if it's a guard, if it's far and away the best player on your board, take him. Um, I know that it's tough, but you can always trade somebody. Ideally, the Cavs draft a three, a four, or a five because they have holes at all three of those spots going forward into the future. But, you know, I it's not a great draft, but there are good players, and every draft has good players. If you scout right and develop right, you will get a good player the majority of the time picking the top ten. We're going to so, have LeVar Ball at the sidelines. On the uh, sidelines. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> you know, if LaMelo Ball could play any defense, he'd actually make some sense, but Unfortunately, he cannot. And say, I wish we had his older brother. He'd fit perfectly with Sexton. Yeah, right. All right. We will be back in a brief moment to discuss Cleveland's other terrible, dysfunctional, bad-ownered uh, Cleveland sports team. And we are back. And yes, folks, before the break, I did use "ownered" as a verb. That yeah, was a thing that happened. That's not a word, but that's what three years of a Kent State journalism education will get you, baby. Anyways, yeah, the Browns suck. That's the point. So <laughs> here we are. Uh, to much to Graham's dismay, the Browns have basically announced that Joe Schobert is gone. I'm just gonna need a minute. Go ahead, buddy. Just here you go. I'm just giving the mic to you. It's time for an Andrew style Graham rant. Go ahead, buddy. I'm just going to need a minute to gather myself because no, I mean, Joe Schobert's a really good player for this team. He's been really good veteran leader for this defense in the last couple of years, which this defense has shown promise with all the young talent it has on the team. And I definitely think he was the big reason that this defense was performing at a high level when he was playing. More so, especially in 2018, they were playing a lot better. And then we def- you definitely noticed when he got hurt that in 2018 and he was gone, the team was terrible. This year, he wasn't as good. He was still okay. and But I think at this point, it just comes down to the fact that they don't want to pay a linebacker 10, a 10 or $11 million a year, especially when he is not the best run stuffing. He's not – I don't think he's as much of a liability as people claimed him to be. He's – but he's definitely better as a pass coverage linebacker. And I just think that at this point that the the way that it's going to be is they're going to have some of the fan favorites might go just because of some analytics, but also just fitting the defense itself. Maybe he just doesn't fit what um, Joe Woods has in cup has a, uh, and has for us. So I think at this point with Joe Schobert, it's just, I, 
I wish him the best if he doesn't end up coming back. I mean, I who knows? Maybe he doesn't get the contract he's looking for in free agency and he comes back on a one-year deal. But the Browns do still actually have Kirksey, Christian Kirksey on the roster. And we'll talk about him in a minute. But there, he is always a potential option if they want him to be. And I guess Mac Wilson showed enough last year that they believe in him that they don't want to pay Schobert. So, or they feel like they can get someone in the draft that can perform at a high level or another linebacker in free agency. But it's a sad day because Schobert was drafted when this team was really, really terrible and back in 2016. And he, we saw him transition from being a really mediocre outside pass rusher into a Pro Bowl inside linebacker, one of the best inside pass coverage inside linebackers in the league. And it's it'll be sad to see him go if he ends up not resigning. So to be clear, you would have resigned him. I would resign him because I think he is someone that is both important in the locker room and on the field. He definitely was a big voice, or at least in terms of his presence on that defense. It was definitely noticeable when he was playing and when he wasn't. And definitely the effect he had on the young linebackers, Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, who was our third round pick last year. So I think it's something that's definitely an important thing. And Wilkes was very complimented of Schobert as well. I think a lot of people like Schobert as a player and as a person, but it just comes down to money. The Browns are going to have to start paying some people soon. And while they have a lot of cap space right now, that's going to go away once we have to pay Miles Garrett 20 some million dollars a year and Denzel paying Denzel Ward, Ward 15 to 18 million a year and paying Baker probably around 30 million a year. If he, as long as he bounces back and shows what he did as a rookie, they're going to be eating their salary pretty quick because a lot of the foundational pieces of the draft for, or of the team by the Browns were drafted in consecutive years. So they're going Nick to be Chubb. making, I mean, yeah, Nick and Nick Chubbs it's that, and the Browns are going to start having these things where it's going to be like, okay, do we keep Nick Chubb for 15 million a year or 12, 13 year? Like he's probably worth, or do they go to another absolute running back or do they sign up another player because Denzel Ward is going to get paid 15, 16 million a year that, and then who, they're going to have to make decisions soon because they're paying luxury positions right now. Like Odell and Jarvis both getting paid about 15 mil a year while they're paying their quarterback, nothing. So Schobert's a luxury, I guess the way that the front office sees it. So that's probably why he's not coming back because he is at a position that's not super high valued, especially on the analytics basis. Yeah. And that's the thing is ultimately, I think when you have all these decisions to make about who you're going to pay, I mean, the Browns have a lot of cap room right now. Not as much of it as they've had previously, but they have a lot. They're still like borderline top five in the NFL. Yeah, they're not Colts cap room though. Yeah, right. And I think that when you have a guy who, you know, really isn't a good run defender, even if he's, let's say he's below average at best, and he's above average against the pass. I think overall as a starter, he's average to above average. And I don't think the Browns want to pay top flight money for that. And I, I think it does hurt to lose talent off of a team that you're trying to build up like the Browns, but I think ultimately they have to make, you know, some frugal decisions. And I, I don't blame them for Joe Schobert being one of them. There's a lot of holes in this team now. That's the thing is they're <laughs> adding another hole and that's the only problem. But, you know, I, you don't want to overpay a guy just to say that you have him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think more highly of Joe Schobert than other people do. I think he's better than average. I mean, he's been a Pro Bowl linebacker the last like three seasons. He's been one of, and he's been doing, he's been one of the best coverage linebackers, which I know I've said that a lot. And yes, his run stuffing is not great, but still in today's NFL, even though there's been some running backs coming back and they've been getting more touches, a lot of those are still added touches coming with passes like screens or 
passing routes by the running backs and linebackers are usually responsible for covering those players. And he's really good at covering the middle of the field as a linebacker, both in zone and in man coverage against tight ends. So I think he's a really important player that is someone that I think the Browns are going to have to definitely replace because you, Mac Wilson showed promise, but at the same time, you're going to need someone that can do pass coverage along with being a little bit more stout against the run. Yeah. One Browns player who was already definitely gone and is <laughs> definitely, definitely gone now. And not just from the Browns, from our, from our outside the bars lifestyle for a while yeah. uh, is Greg Robinson, who was caught with 157 pounds of weed, which Mm, it's not great uh, by the by the Mexican border too, which is like yeah. really the worst place to be driving a car filled with 157 pounds of weed. Yeah, so Greg Robinson went from a bad left tackle to I like <laughs> I don't want to rate him as an inmate because we don't know, <laughs> but uh, he's going to be an inmate is the point. Yeah, so he could get like 20 plus years in prison. <laughs> yeah, it sucks for him, but maybe not a good life choice there. Um, <laughs> Whatever you think about marijuana being legal or illegal, you probably shouldn't have 157 pounds in duffel bags. Greg Robinson made $10 million playing football this year. Yeah. And apparently that was not, not enough. enough. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Some people are saying that maybe he was forced to do it by somebody. That maybe this is higher conspiracy than we think. And I'm just like. You say higher conspiracy? Like a, yeah, more of a conspiracy. Higher. Conspiracy. Or it's a conspiracy. Higher. Oh my God. Uh, all right. So anyways, some potential cuts from the Browns um, uh, is Greg Robinson's tackle mate, uh, Chris Hubbard, who is been... By tackle mate, I mean he gave up so many sacks <laughs> yeah. that Baker Mayfield just kept getting tackled. Yes. Um, Hubbard was below average for sure. He was worse than Robinson. Yeah. Christian Kirksey, will pr- it's been widely presumed, will be cut after not being held the last couple of years and being, you know... A solid linebacker previously, um, but now that Joe Schobert's gone, maybe he comes back. He only has one year left on his deal, yeah. and there's dead money if they try to cut him this off season. I mean, it's minimum. It's like two million, two and a half million, but that three million, but that's still more than maybe they want to worry about at the moment. So if getting means losing Schobert for nothing, and they could keep Kirksey for a year just to have a veteran linebacker, they could sign still sign another person or draft a linebacker to take over that position, but I think keeping Kirksey wouldn't be the worst decision because he's not hurting your long-term cap space, but there's still a pretty good chance. I think he gets cut. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if we see that news coming up soon. I mean, definitely more Morgan Burnett's definitely a candidate to get cut because of his injury. Cause I mean, he, all, which sucks cause he had been playing really well before he had gotten hurt with the Browns. Like he had been a really solid, strong safety for us. And I thought that maybe he could have been a good one for the next couple of years, but I think that Achilles injury will probably do him in because it was only a one-year deal. Yeah. And then Eric Murray, the free safety slot corner hybrid, could be cut. I'm hoping he doesn't he's get a, he's cut. He's a decent player. Was he's, he making like three or four million? Yeah, he's a good backup. He's a really good backup free safety, and he can play slot corner in a pinch. He's not, And he, a, and he could teach, a, if we get a, a young rookie safety, he could teach them. Right, and especially with, I think, with TJ Carey being cut, which I think for both of us was the biggest, most questionable decision out of the players that have already been cut by the team. Because he was a established, good starting and a good NFL corner, he could be the top, a top three corner on a good team, I think. But they just for some reason didn't want to keep him. I think you have to consider keeping Murray at this point because he w- would allow he could play slot sometimes, which means Denzel Ward could still play outside instead of always having to moving Denzel inside to the slot if they need to. Because we know Greedy is going to be on the outside. All so the time. Hubbard, 
I would cut. Would you cut? Yes, he um, is terrible. Kirksey. I think I would cut Kirksey, and if you don't find another linebacker, I would try and bring him back at a lower amount. What would you do? I mean, if that's – I would see what happens with free agency. I think if you are going to bring in – if you can bring in a linebacker and then you want to get rid of him at that point, I understand. But I don't think you want to get rid of him until you know for a fact. Because I think he still could bring value to another team. I think if he his injuries are okay, he could still be a – starting caliber linebacker for a team or worst case, he could be a really good veteran depth option for a team that maybe has younger linebackers that need that a veteran presence on their team. I think I'd probably cut him and try and bring him back for a lower amount. If I don't find somebody else, I think the, the, the reason I don't, I wouldn't is just cause he's on a one year deal left anyway, yeah. and it, he's not affecting the long-term cap space. So really yeah. it's not going to affect this next year's cap yeah. space that much to the point where you need to cut him and risk it. Bring, having to bring him back or him getting signed by someone else. I mean, it wouldn't be a massive loss if he gets cut, but I think he could help provide depth for us and give us some solid play at linebacker. Cause right now there's not a lot of certainty. I'd probably cut Morgan Burnett. I think it, he's an older guy with a major injury. Yeah, and I, I would think too. that, I think that Sheldrick Redwine showed enough that he could at least be a fallback. He improved option. a lot at the end of last year. I really liked, Redwine's I think he could at least be a fallback option. Yeah. Um, I'd probably keep Murray. Like you said, he's versatile. And um, he could start if we need him to. The one we didn't talk about is Olivier Vernon, which is um, it's a big deal because it's $15.5 million and it's totally unguaranteed. The thing is, so if you cut him, you you do not have a starting defensive end. Which means you probably either have to sign one in free agency or you'd have to draft one early. Correct. And if you keep him, you're paying him $15.5 million and he has really extensive injury history. But if you cut and then on the flip side, if you cut him, you're going to have to sign a free agent that's worth more than that, that you haven't seen in the building and maybe has some other issues. So, but at the same time, I understand why maybe they want to cut him because Vernon, like you said, has shown, had a lot of injury problems and had some moments of dominance for us last year, but really not as much as we had hoped. And once he was injured, Last year, and then he missed a lot of the year. He tried to come back, and he just was never the same. I think what I would do is go after a top flight defensive end. If I don't get one, I'd probably keep him. I, but I think I think he's gonna. But get I think cut. to I make think the, he's gonna get cut. But I think to make the space, I think you have to cut him because they have like seventy million space right now. They only have like fifty, really. Yeah. Because, th- like we said, and those those numbers are going to add up with Miles and just th- just think about Miles and Baker alone. That's probably about fifty million. Yeah, but those guys aren't getting signed right now. But soon, and the, yeah. and the, I'm just saying because he's he's not guaranteed totally going forward. It's like Kirksey to me. I you know I think I, I think both of those guys I would consider keeping if you can't find a replacement early. And I wouldn't try and add too much in free agency because we all know that's not a great idea. It's not how you really build your team. There's but. only a couple NFL free agent. There's only a couple defensive linemen free agents that I would really pursue if we cut Olivier Vernon. Be Everson Griffin from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe from the Jaguars, and that's probably the two I would really target the most just because I think they fit the Browns and what they're looking for in a pass rusher, and both of them have been pretty durable for the most part. I don't really think it's worth going for Jadavian Clowney, who is really good in the run game, but at the same time, he is not a dominant pass rusher. He's more of a secondary guy, and you're paying, you're going to have to pay him like 20 plus million a year because he's like, he's only like what, 26 years old, 27? He's still a young pass rusher. Yep. To the point, so I, I, he's probably going to get the Frank Clark contract or maybe even the D Ford contract. So much money. Which is a lot of money. And I'd rather, if I'm going to pay big money, I'd rather have someone who's been consistent production like Yannick Ngakwe or Everson Griffin on playoff teams or defense or elite defenses because both of them have played on elite defensive lines. Would you rather pay one of those guys like five years 100 with 60 guaranteed or pay Olivier Vernon 16 this year? 
I'd That's probably rather pay, but every, both of those guys are young enough that I'd be willing to pay a yeah. five-year deal with some guaranteed money up front because really five-year deals in the NFL are more like the first three years of it are guaranteed. And then after that, it's kind of up in the air. Yeah. So I think if you're going to pay, I'd rather pay Yannick Ngakwe five years, a hundred with like 60 million guaranteed in the first three years, personally, because I think yeah. he's going to affect you more. He's going to get a lot more pressure. He's a good pass rusher. He forces a lot of fumbles as well. Imagine having Yannick Ngakwe and Miles Garrett as the, your bookends. You know, the thing is, that'd be scary. You, know, you cut Olivier Vernon, that trade with the Giants looks worse and worse every year. You know what I mean? Yeah. They gave up. Quite, I mean, they gave up a good, a solid starting safety, and they gave up a first round pick, and they gave up a really great guard, and they've gotten back an injured year of Olivier Vernon and Odell Beckham, which you know he'll be better this year, I'm sure. But still, and they could rectify that because in free agency there is some good guards available, like Joe Thune from the Patriots. But really, I think if they want to, instead of going for the cream of the crop t- tackles like Jack Conklin and these other young, uh, right tackles and left tackles in free agency that you're going to have to pay 15 to 20 million a year. You're going to have to pay this guy 14, 15 million a year, but I think Brandon Scherf from the Redskins is worth it. Cause he's an elite right guard. He, he was an all pro right guard at one point as well. And he was under Bill Callahan in Washington, who is the Browns new offensive line coach. And I think he would, so he would fit right into the scheme because he knows exactly what's going on. And he's one of the best, most dominant run blocking guards. Imagine having Brandon Scherf and Joel Batonio together. And along that, that it could would be almost like if you had a uh, Joel Batonio and Kevin Zeitler. Yeah, which is true. The Browns had Zeitler and gave him away because they thought Vernon was going to be that guy. And so they'd have to do a little bit of kind of going backwards to then go back to where they were. Because I think at this point, Vern, unless Vernon's going to stay healthy, I don't know if he's someone that can be on the team long-term and I definitely wouldn't pay him 15 million again over long-term salary. Cause while he does have the talent, it's just too much of a risk at this point for me. That's fair. So major team needs, obviously offensive line is the number one. We need, need for three this team. starters. We need tackles and we need a guard. A yeah. Right we need guard. a right guard and two, two tackles. We only have Batonio and Treader, and we are paying them both pretty good money for their positions. So. I think what the Browns are looking at a major free agent signing and a major draft pick. Minimum. I, yeah, I would say they need to, if they could sign Scherf and then draft like Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa or uh, Jedrick Wills out of Alabama, those are kind of the top two tackles I think would fit the Browns best. I think those type of guys, I think if that would be what you'd have to do and then maybe sign a second tier guard or tackle, whatever you decide to sign uh, the first tier free agency, sign a second tier one in free agency as well and kind of just build the offensive line that way. At least have someone to have competition for whatever position you're doing. Me personally, I said Daryl Williams from the Panthers would be great. I mentioned him before. He's someone that can play multiple that played multiple positions last year when he really shouldn't have been. He was a good right tackle back in 2018. He just got hurt uh, before the 2019 season. So I think it's something that the Browns should definitely look at because he could be a cheap right tackle option for second tier money and maybe be that first tier right tackle for us if he stays healthy. So yeah, I would definitely. I would definitely sign a starter. I'm, I would sign a bonafide starter. I would draft a guy first round or second round latest. And then I I would be okay with filling the third of those positions with, you know, maybe a competition um, or, you know, maybe some guys currently on the roster that could compete, especially at guard. But, I mean, they've got to – you know, major assets have to be used in terms of money and draft capital on the offensive line. You right got to be able to protect Baker and yeah. also be able to have the running game 
be better because honestly, Nick Chubb did a lot of the work himself last year. And even Kareem Hunt, to an extent, was doing a lot of his own creation of his of the offense because he was able to get open and passing along with being able to run a little bit at the end of the year. Nick Chubb was doing that the entire season. They they really need to get back to having that. And I think having it, the dominant offensive line they did Baker's rookie year was why they were so good, especially the second half of the year when our tackles were playing at a good level. Even Hubbard was playing at his best during that eight game stretch when he was like an above average right tackle. And he was the worst lineman during that stretch when Robinson was playing like an above average to good starting right tackle. And we had that dominant interior. I personally would go after Scherf over like a Jack Conklin or an Anthony Costanzo or uh, something like that, because I think it's just, he's just a better player. And I don't think they should, I think guards and tackles at this point are almost as important because you still have to get the running game going. And also with Baker, he needs that interior pressure to not be as bad. And Scherf is a good pass blocker as well. And I also think we could still go after Trent Williams if we if the Browns are still want, interested in doing that because same relationship Bill Callahan had him in Washington for several years. Yeah, I would struggle to give up much for Trent Williams personally because I don't think you know he's an older guy. He's still near, I wouldn't give up a first round pick. Yeah. I'd give he's up. He's still near the end of his prime, but it's I'd t- give up it's, a second rounder. For it's him. tough for me to give up a pick and pay him. That's the struggle for me. Yeah, I mean it depends on how much he would want. If he wants like fifteen million, then yeah, I'd rather just sign Scherf and then probably tr- just draft a rookie tackle yeah, to play left tackle for us. Other major needs, especially depending safety. on the guys who get cut, is safety, linebacker, and defensive line. Well, safety for I sure. Mean, we you, have if nobody. You, if you cut Olivier Vernon, you need a starting defensive end, and you need depth of the defensive line either way. Linebacker, if you cut Kirksey, you need a starter, and you need a, a young guy going forward either way, unless Taki Taki is somehow good. And like you said, safety, I mean, you know, Burnett, Eric Murray, Sheldrick Redwine, those are your safety options right now. And I would argue none of those three have proven they should be starters at this point. Well, Burnett's careers. probably gone. It's probably just Murray. That's what I'm saying. It's really just Murray and Redwine. And, that and I, think, I don't think either of those guys is a proven starter. Not long term, no. I think they could be good backups at each of their respective positions. But Demarius Randall's gone. So you, you're going to need an you need a free safety and free agency or in the draft. I You just got to figure out which one values the best because there's some good free safeties or good safeties available in general in free agency this year, but there's some good ones in the draft. Too. I think the Browns need an impact player in the secondary, whether that be a linebacker or safety. Maybe you could get both with uh, Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. Yeah, if he's around at 10, yeah. Yeah, for those who don't know, he's this freak athlete from Clemson who could play linebacker, slot corner, safety. He ran like a 4-3-9-40 time. Which for a linebacker is he's, he's absurd. Six, oh, he's 6'3", 240, by the way. So, I mean, if if imagine him and Mac Wilson just running around in the linebacker core, just terrorizing people, it would be – the Browns wouldn't give up anything in the middle of the field, which that's a decision the Browns are going to have to make. They're going to have to decide if the value of the free agency with like offensive line because that's always a really expensive position in free agency, and that's always a really big risk for a position in terms of free agency because offensive linemen tend to bust the most in free agency just based on contract and how much they're getting paid. Like I wouldn't want to pay a tackle 17, 18 million a year, like Jack Conklin to play right tackle. The thing that's tough for the Browns right now is you're not going to sign a left tackle in free agency. No, you need so to draft one. You almost have to use your first round draft pick on a left tackle. Cause if you don't, if you're drafting a left tackle in the second round or lower, that is far from a guaranteed proposition. You know what I mean? There's some second round ones. There's the one, there's only one that I really like this draft. And his name's Lucas Niang from TCU. He could be a developmental prospect, like in the second round, who could be a starter down the line, kind of like Andre Dillard uh, from last year in the draft when the Eagles took him in the, 
to basically back up Jason Peters for a year or two. Because Jason Peters is hurt always. Hurt always, and he's older. So, but basically, just having someone that is gonna that could be a good starting left tackle for the future, and then the first round they could go with you know Isaiah Simmons or. If they need some help on the defensive line, they could take a pass rusher if one falls to them. I don't think they're going to take like a wide receiver or anything like that. But honestly, Isaiah Simmons would probably be the biggest target for them. And if not, it'd probably be an offensive lineman. Or at that point, they'd have to decide if they want to draft a pass rusher. Because after Chase Young, the next tier of guys are a little bit different. Because there's some interior guys like uh, Javon Kinlaw. And then there's some pass rushers like Caleb on Chase on from LSU that uh, are different yeah i mean i think you know you have probably one to one big time free agency contract you can give out and one or two mid-tier ones and you have a first round draft pick and a second round draft pick and two thirds and i think yeah remember two thirds thank you duke johnson there's only so much you can do to fill all these holes but i still i think offensive lines by far the biggest one and i think you know i think you need another pass rusher alongside garrett but you, you got to get that protection for Baker Mayfield before you do anything because Baker was a mess last year. Yeah. I mean, if I, I, th- I think a lot of those bad habits he had aren't going to be corrected unless you improve the line. Absolutely. If I, ideally, if I'm the running the Browns, I would in off in the off season free agency, I'd go for a guard. If I was the Browns, I try to get a guard and another offensive lineman in free agency. And then I would try to draft one in the first round. And then the second, so right then you're basically saying your three biggest moves are all offensive line. Yeah. And then I would draft probably a linebacker, maybe trade up from the second round to the late first round if there's a linebacker you like, or take one in the second round, and then maybe take a wide receiver or a tight end with, with your third round picks to maybe give him some extra weapons. Yeah, I think other needs are kind of, you know, obviously you need depth at every position, but I think... Uh, like, we do need extra wide receiver help. We yeah. After, yeah, Especially, they could bring back Rashard Higgins. But even if they bring back Hollywood after those three, if one of them gets hurt at any point, which we've seen... Jarvis just had major, just had hip surgery. Odell Beckham had its hernia for some of the year. You never know if one of those guys might miss long period of time. If in that case, you need your fourth receiver to be someone that can come in and contribute. I know I personally really like KJ Hill from Ohio State uh, as someone we could draft in like the third round. He's a really good catch after uh, yards after catch kind of guy. He's kind of like a mini Jarvis Landry in the way he plays, and I really like that about him. Yeah, I think the Browns are probably going to target a backup quarterback. Yeah, both to be kind of a teacher. I think that's going to be and, free agency. And, and to be, I agree. Oh, for sure. They're I don't def- think they're, they're definitely draft one. That's been their reporters. They're going to try and sign somebody. I think Case Keenan would be ideal because he'd be a lower price guy who could be a legitimate backup if needed. I think him or Chase Daniel would be good ones because Chase Daniel's probably a little bit worse than Case Keenan, but he's proven he can start for. What do you think in Chase Daniel? Probably like six million, seven million max. I think Same I'd pay Case Keenum four. I could pay Case Keenum five or six. Yeah. I think Keenum's worth that because he's shown he can hold down the fort for five or six games if, for some reason, Baker got hurt. Yeah, tight end, like you said, that's a major question mark. Tight end. They I mean, Njoku is there, but it's just not clear if he's a legit NFL tight end or not. And then for agency, I mean, we've you and me off podcast talked about Austin Hooper hoop. from uh, the Falcons. Give and, me hoop. But I just don't know if, it, depending on his projected salary, if I'd want to pay a tight end $11, $10, million He's basically a, year. a really, really safe, reliable option. He's going to catch the ball every time. Yes. He's not a playmaker. It's So that's a question. of Is that something you want to invest that much of your cap in going forward? Because that's going to be a chunk. That would be one of your bigger signings if you did that this year. Yep. I'd rather sign Brandon Scherf for $15 million than sign Austin Hooper for eleven yep. personally. Because that's I fair. think Scherf can affect the game a lot more because not only will he protect Baker, but he'll also open up the lanes for Kareem Hunt and 
Nick Chubb and that lot, that running game, which was already really good last year. I think just a little bit of scheme help and maybe some added offensive line girth could definitely be one of the most dominant uh, running games in the NFL with those two guys. If you were to trade Najoku right now, what do you get? Fourth round pick? Uh, maybe a late third from a good team or yeah. I would take pick. a late third like, like yesterday. If a, like I think maybe like I think the Patriots would be willing to give up a third round pick for him. He's a young athletic tight end that would be that would be really good for a quarterback, whether that's Tom Brady or the next guy they bring in. I Which, mean, by the way, if Tom Brady leads, who the hell is their quarterback? I mean, they year? could go for Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah, great. they're not they're not going to win a damn Super Bowl. Two gloves, Teddy, Teddy in New England. Yeah. Actually, it probably would be a terrible fit for him. Maybe Jacoby Brissett for a year. <sighs> yeah, go back, go back to New England because he's probably going to not be the starting quarterback in Indianapolis anymore. Right? Because apparently they're going for Philip Rivers, <sighs> which. I would probably just rather have Brissett personally. Him and his seven funny. kids can move to Indianapolis. Isn't it like, it's got to be 12 by now. I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm at 17. Yeah. <laughs> so anything else for the Browns for you? I mean, you know, free agency, we still have two and a half weeks. And yeah. as, as we hear some more rumors and some more things start to fall into peace, we can podcast again. But, you know, where, where do you, what do you feel like with the Browns right now so far? I mean, the new regime has not been here long, um, but what are your, your kind of general thoughts so far about, you know, where the team's at and what, what you think. I mean, for the most part, they've cut players. I expected them to cut a couple moderate players that they cut that I didn't expect, like TJ Carey kind of leaving and stuff like that. That's weird. Uh, it seems like they're wanting to give the young players a chance. Like Stefanski said that they have a plan for David Njoku in the offense this coming up season. They've made it well known that they're going to help Baker. Like apparently even Alex Van Pelt's going to work on changing his footwork to help him in the pocket more. They have a good offensive line. They've made good organizational moves in terms of getting a good coaching staff that's experienced behind Kevin Stefanski. And I think Stefanski has been very approachable and done well with talking about his vision. But at the same time, it's going to have to be up to Andrew Barry in this front office to not just lean have all into analytics and just use it, like we've said, as a tool to help them make informed decisions that are going to benefit this team. Because if they go, if they don't want to sign Scherf, for a certain contract because he's a guard and they're willing to give out contracts to a worse player just because he plays at a premium position. That's going to really piss me off because if they're going to sign players just because they're at premium positions and they are worth a certain contract based on that market, like for instance, going for a tackle that maybe isn't worth it as opposed to going for one of the linebackers or maybe going for another offensive lineman. Those are the type of problems I think are going to, that are the begin of the stemming of again not having that same vision not being on the same page which the browns need to be on desperately so yep i would be, i would just be careful about overspending in free agency the browns have holes and they've got to fill at least one of those in free agency i get it free agency you can get really good players and you you know they're just sitting right there all you got to do is give them money you know it it's great but a lot of teams have gotten a lot of trouble by overpaying free agents. You know what I mean? And we, yeah, and we also have long-term, like we said in this podcast multiple times already, we have long-term players that we know are going to be established like cornerstones. Like we know Miles Garrett's going to be here long-term, and barring a, a, barring a collapse this next season, Baker's going to be here long-term. So I think that's something that the we have to, Browns fans have to look at because we look at this big salary cap number. We're like, oh, we have all this money. Yeah, but you have to be really smart about your decision-making at this point because you don't want to be like these teams that are paying their quarterbacks 30 million a year and have nothing else. There is a way in the NFL nowadays to pay your quarterback that much money because you have to, and still build a strong team around it. You just have to be opportunistic and not just completely spend all your money at once. 
Well, hey, making smart decisions. That's something the Browns have been really bad at for a long time. So hopefully they get better at that. Yeah. Check out uh, TreeCityRecords.com, at TreeCityRecords on Twitter. You all know our Twitters by now. I'm at A Baker Sports. Graham's at G-T-M-O-H-A-N. Uh, we will be back with more Cavs and Browns content. Um, still no Indians. I'm in the running for a job with them, which I hopefully get. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just keep checking us out. We appreciate listens, reviews, uh, ratings, all that stuff. Check us out. We appreciate it. We will be back much sooner this time than we were last time. Yes. And the Browns offseason overhaul will continue and the Cavs will keep losing games. That sounds about right. All right. Catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace.